Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. But we're going to get started with our programs so that we have plenty of time to not only hear the information that Mike has to share with us this morning, but so that we will hopefully have some time for questions as well. I do, again, want to welcome everyone to the ACB Families Breakfast. And it's just really good that we're back together again for the first time. It will be three years that we skipped two, so we're awful glad everybody's here in person. For those of you on Zoom, there's 28 people in the room, and we're also glad to have those of you that are joining us virtually. I'm Carla Rushville. I'm the president of ACB Families, and we just want to be sure that all of you know that we'd love to have you as part of ACB Families. If you'd like more information on families, you can email me at my email, which is Carla, C-A-R-L-A, 40206 at gmail.com, or you can call at 502-897-1472 and be glad to give you more information on families and how you can become a part of our group. We also would like to encourage everyone to register for ACB families. I think almost all of the special interest groups give you the opportunity to register for their events that is not required for you to attend the events, but it does help the groups with their various expenses and so on. And in ACB families, we will have a drawing for a lot of door prizes for those individuals who register for the families convention activities. So if you haven't done that, you can go to registration, whether you be in person here in Omaha or virtual, and uh, tell them you'd like to add the fee onto your registration account. And then in August, you'll be eligible to win. We have lots of prizes. Also remember the bingo tonight is at 730. That is not a virtual event, and it's $10 at the door if you haven't already bought a ticket. And again, lots and lots of prizes at the bingo. So be sure and come. It's always a lot of fun. We've been doing bingo with the exception of the last two years since 2013. So we hope everybody comes and has a good time. With that, I'd like to introduce our speaker. It is Mike Hudson. He is the director of the American Printing House for the Blind Museum in Louisville, Kentucky. And they're getting ready to do a big expansion of the museum. And there will be a lot of new things. If you remember, he joined us a couple of years ago to talk about the new Helen Keller collection that the museum was at that time acquiring from the American Foundation for the Blind. Turned out to be about, what, Mike, 58,000 items, something like that. Countless items. <laughs> Countless, yes. <laughs> and you don't want to count halfway through and lose count. So, uh, <laughs> um, but they also have all kinds of other interesting things. If you happen to visit Louisville and get to go by the museum before it closes this fall, it's going to be closed for a couple of years while they do their major construction. But you can see all kinds of good things like a piano that Stevie Wonder played in high school 
at the Michigan School for the Blind. A lot of Helen Keller items. They have a wonderful, very rare, which we can't touch, but a very rare book written by Louis Braille, which they acquired several years ago, and just all kinds of other interesting things for uh, education and, you know, slates. And you can feel the different systems that they used to use for writing before Braille came along, all kinds of slates, just an amazing array of things. But Mike today is going to talk to us about how to preserve our memories, good ways to preserve, and or in some cases, what we don't want to do to keep our memories from deteriorating, like uh, pictures and tapes and things like that. So Mike, tell us about how to keep our memories, how to keep them good so that people in the future can enjoy them. And thanks so much for getting up so early on the 4th of July. And I don't know if you're at APH, but uh, coming the distance from Lexington to Louisville to talk to us this morning. We really appreciate you being here. Thank you, Carla. So I'm actually, uh, I have my my cell phone propped up on a box of playing cards, Uno cards, uh, on the kitchen table of an 1895 log cabin that my wife's family owns out in Morgan County, Kentucky, in the, in the mountains of eastern Kentucky. And uh, my family has spent a lot of time uh, and Paula's family, my wife, has spent a lot of time maintaining this old house. It's filled with memories, good memories of her parents and their parents and their parents. And so what I'm going to be talking about today, and thank you, Carla, for inviting me, is really more about media preservation. We're going to be talking about audio recordings, video recordings, that sort of thing, and then how to do your own, a little bit on how to do your own oral histories to preserve your own family history. You know, my dad, who's 89, he's going to turn 89 here in a few days. He always told this story about how when he was a little boy, he had stolen my Aunt Margaret's roller skates and nailed them to a board to create his own skateboard and then went skateboarding out one lonely night past this graveyard. And you, you have to hear my dad tell the story. It's, it's quite hilarious. It was really uh, fun to hear my dad tell the story when my Aunt Margaret was around, you know, to see her reaction when he talked about stealing her skates. But I keep telling myself that I need to record that story. My dad's 89. He's in good health, but he's not going to last forever, right? Nobody does. And what a loss it would be to me and my sisters if once he's not around to tell that story. But somehow or other, I've never gotten around, even doing what I do for a living, I've never gotten around to making that recording. So don't do that. Make those recordings, record those memories. And, and so what I want to talk a little bit about uh, today, first off, none of, none of the things that I'm going to talk about are rocket science, okay? This is all widely available information. If you, uh, if you Google preservation of magnetic media or preservation of optical media, 40 web pages will come up and all of it will have this same basic stuff in it. And, and I myself am not an expert in media preservation, although we have, as Carla mentioned, we have a really great wide variety of collections in the Museum of the American Printing House of the Blind. And I have done a lot of work with media and media preservation over the last 10 years. 
but there's still a lot I don't know. And I'm sure there's some people in this meeting that know 10 times as much as I do. So when you start asking questions, if you get too far down into the technical weeds, you'll lose me pretty quick. And my final uh, kind of prefatory remark here is that what I'm going to give you is advice for your own family records. In a museum, we might do things with a little more rigor, but I think this is basic information that I think will help. So first, let's start talking about what, when, I, when we're talking about mag magnetic media or optical media, we're basically talking about audio tape, either on a reel-to-reel -reel or in an in a audio cassette, which is familiar to a lot of people. We could be talking about a floppy disk, either the five and a quarter or three and a half inch floppy disks, or we could be talking about a, a hard drive, which is also magnetic media. And, and then optical media, we're talking about that, we're talking about uh, well, also in, in magnetic media in the video area, we might be talking about like a VHS tape or a Betamax, and there's some other older formats, but VHS and Betamax are, are pretty much the kind of two. You might also have some VHS Cs or some eight millimeter videotapes laying around, you know, different video cams use different kinds of formats. And then optical media would be things like CDs, compact discs, uh, DVDs, di digital video discs, right? So the first thing you have to know is kind of understand a little bit about the materials that these things are made out of. The, the old audio tapes basically are a base layer, right, right, which before the 1960s would have been made out of acetate, and after the 1960s was going to be made out of some kind of polyester, usually mylar, and then a binder layer on that, which is the magic. That's, the, that's whatever the proprietary magic that the tape manufacturer uses to record the information, the magnetic uh, it's it's a mixture of you know of uh, resins and and metal particles and that kind of stuff. And then there's kind of a mechanical part of, of the tape as well. There's the the you know on a, on a reel to reel tape. There's the the reel that it's on. Uh, on a cassette tape, it's that you know it's that cassette. You know the plastic chassis, and then you've got the rollers, and so there's a lot of like moving parts in a in an audio cassette. Now, hard drives don't have a, a tremendous amount of, of, of moving parts. And, and on a hard drive, you've got a thicker disc there, but it's still, it's a magnetic medium. And then on the VHS, again, uh, you've got a, you know, uh, usually a mylar-based tape, but a polyester tape, and then it's got a magnetic layer on the binder layer. And again, it's a really mechanical thing, right? There's lots of moving parts in a, um, in a, in a video cartridge that can go wrong, right? And so one of the things about all of these media is that they suffer from what we would call inherent vice, and they, and they suffer from that to different levels, okay? So um, what is inherent vice? It means that <laughs> human beings suffer from inherent vice, right? If your knees are hurting you today, it's because, you know, nothing lasts forever and everything starts to deteriorate. And, uh, and so different materials deteriorate at different rates, and so uh, each object uh, has different materials built into it, and some of them are aging faster than others. Everything is rotting, and so our job uh, is to try and slow down that rot as, as much as we can so that the things that we're trying to preserve last as long as they can. So, so what are the threats to magnetic media? So sunlight, heat, it speeds up chemical reactions. And so high temperatures, low temperatures are both dangerous to magnetic media, optical media. Dust is a real serious problem for all of these media. So dust and dirt 
uh, if we don't protect our media from, you know, dust and dirt, that's going to cause them to deteriorate more quickly. Handling. A lot of times, uh, I'm, I'm just going to speak from experience. We're working with the collection of a, a major American blindness organization right now. And uh, Justin Gardner, uh, our archivist, the other day was working with a, a collection of, of oral histories from that agency. And the cassettes had just been jumbled into a box, no protective cases, uh, in, in many cases not labeled. Uh, and so, so handling the way we handle things and dust and dirt uh, can be a real source of damage to our media. Um, humidity. So high humidity is bad for magnetic media like a cassette tape because it causes that binder layer and that uh, the, uh, the base layer to start to delaminate. That's a big fancy word for meaning separate, right? And so uh, all, all these things can be very, very, very damaging to, uh, to our, our media that we're trying to preserve, our old tapes, our old videotapes, our old, our old audio tapes. So there's a lot, of, there's a lot of, of, of potential damage to these very fragile media. And one thing that you may or may not know is that magnetic media is just not going to last forever. Really, uh, you know, a cassette tape was only expected to last between 10 and 30 years. And VHS tapes, even less than that. We have done a lot of digitization of uh, VHS tapes over the last 10 years. And tapes, uh, even as, as old as only uh, five or 10 years, already start to show breakup in their signal uh, particularly on the video parts of the of the of the tapes as opposed to the audio seems to be a little more durable than the video does and so if you have a stack of old video tapes laying somewhere in your in your house those are going away day by day they are they are deteriorating and you have less and less and less of the memories that are on those tapes are going to be available to you and then there's another thing it's the playback device so even if all of your cassettes were made out of some magic material and they never deteriorated, if your VHS tapes never deteriorated, if your eight millimeter videotapes never deteriorated, what about the machine you're going to play them on? Okay, so some of you all out there may be big fans of the old tabletop cassette players that APH used to sell. And I'm wondering if any of you tried to get one repaired recently. So not only are, are all the old repair technicians rapidly aging out of the workforce, so the people that even knew how to repair those machines are starting to, you know, retire or, or even pass on. But the parts that you need, the belts, the wheels, even the electronics, are they still available? And, and if they are available, you know, obviously they haven't been manufactured in a long time. How have they aged sitting in a box somewhere on a shelf somewhere? So the, the, or, or think about uh, five and a quarter inch, the old floppy disks the, in your house, do you have a, a, a computer set up with a floppy disk drive that will read those disks? Even if the disk is, is in perfect shape, is your, how's the computer? How's the software? How up to date is it? Has it been possible to update it? We have in our collection, this really awesome device. It's called a sound scribe. So if any, if you know anything about like if, you, if you've ever heard of a dictaphone, Right. So this office dictation machinery starts to be developed pre-World War II, after World War II, into the 50s and 60s. And, you know, so the boss could record a letter and then 
the secretary uh, later could type it up for him, right? She didn't have to sit there and record from his dictation live. And Soundscriber was one of those media. And it, what it did was it, it uh, there's a box, oh, maybe about eight, 10 inches square. And you put a blank polyester disc into it. And then just like a phonograph, you would talk only, only it would be phonograph in reverse. Instead of playing, it would be recording. It would be etching, etching a line, a groove onto those discs. And then later you could play them back on the same machine. Okay, so Carla will tell you that we've been working with the, with the uh, Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni Collection. And in that collection was a stack of, of hundreds of these, these soundscriber discs. And we have a couple of soundscribers, but of course, they don't work. So how are you going to play these things back, right? Okay, so what's, so, so I've kind of set that up. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about how to save your, your media, okay? The first is about storage, okay? Store your memories in places that are comfortable for human beings, and you will not be too far off. You know, at, at the APH, of course, we have fancy temperature and humidity and light and all that in all of our museum storage spaces. But as long as you store your, your favorite collection of audio tapes in a place that's also comfortable for humans, you're in good shape. Don't store them in the basement where it's really humid and moist and you have, you know, silverfish down there and you have the threat of floods in Kentucky, at least in certain times of the year. Don't store them in the attic where it's super hot. And it's all and, and also high humidity. And also you have bugs up there. All these things are serious threats to, to preserving anything that you want to preserve, but in particular for your, your media types. So if you stuff them in a box and you throw them in the attic and then when you want to play them again, they don't work. You shouldn't be surprised. OK, the cases, everything should be in a case. A lot of times you have the original case. Uh, and those are okay. They, you can also purchase very stable plastic cases for all of these types of media uh, from a company like Gaylord, which is a library supply company, Gaylord.com. And then uh, store them in, 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 don't store them in, a, you know, just a, you know, old brown cardboard box, store them in an acid-free box. If, if you care about these memories, spend a little money on the storage equipment that you store them in and then store them under, the, under your bed in your bedroom rather than up in the attic. Now, and the other thing is about documentation, and this is really important. Okay, so say we've got this wonderful lady who was active in, in women's suffrage in the 1920s, right? And uh, unfortunately, she didn't have any kids. She has all her boxes full of all of her memories in her house. And then as happens, she, she passes away. Then she didn't have any relatives. Her, so then somebody comes in and just goes through her house and puts all the boxes out on the front porch. None of it's labeled anyways. Who cares? Nobody knows what, what its significance is. And it goes into the garbage. And her life is gone. Right? Is that what you want to have happen to your memories? Is that what you want to have happen to your, your people? Right? Your stories? No. And so you have to make sure that everything is carefully labeled. My family has uh, a just a, my sister, my older sister, Carol, got a cassette recorder for Christmas one year. You rem may remember that Christmas when you got your first cassette recorder. And she she hid the cassette recorder underneath the couch and recorded our Christmas opening of our Christmas that year. 
And it is hilarious. It is wonderful. It's one of my favorite memories. And that cassette is very carefully labeled as to what it is. But if we didn't label it, it might be in just a stack of cassettes. And somebody comes along and goes, what are these old cassettes? Ah, they're a bunch of junk. Out they go, right? So everything needs to be carefully labeled. Your video collection, your audio collection, all those things need to be carefully, carefully labeled as to what they are labeled on the media itself so on the side of the cassette it needs to be labeled what it is and on the container it needs to be labeled and not in a code that only you understand because you are not going to be around for forever it needs to be labeled carefully so that your son your daughter or your or your grandchildren can recognize what it is and why it's significant so careful storage in conditions that are comfortable to a human and careful documentation so that everything is marked and you know what it is. So that's essentially preservation of what you have. But to to really preserve these magnetic media, what we're going to have to do is we need to change them into a digital media. And you probably have noticed that there's lots of companies now that do this. They take old tapes and they digitize them and turn them into a digital format. Okay. So there's kind of two ways you can go through this digitization, okay? At my house, we did it by ourselves. You can buy equipment. If you still have the original, uh, say, say we're talking about videotapes, if you still have the original video camera that, that, and it works, that you, you taped the videos with, you, you can buy a device that lets you hook it up to the USB connection on your computer. You can get a piece of software, and you can transfer the video onto a, into a digital file. Or you can, uh, we have a, at, at work at APH, we have a video to DVD player, a transfer thing where we can put a VHS tape in, pretty much automatically transfer that to a DVD. And then we can take the DVD, put it into our computer and load it into the computer as a MPEG file. MPG is one of the popular video formats. Or, so that's do it yourself. Uh, And there's lots of guides online about how to do that. And it's really not super expensive. It's just time consuming because the transfer occurs at real time. Then the second way you can do it is you can just send it out. So in Louisville, Kentucky, we have this company called Video Kitchen, but there are other uh, companies and I'm not doing an ad here for Video Kitchen, but we use them in the museum a lot to do mass projects. You can send them your media and they turn them into a, a, a digital file. And then they put it on either a thumb drive or a hard drive, a removable hard drive, and give it back to you. So that, that's a couple of ways that you can do it. And, uh, and, and your, your decision on how you want to digitize might determine, might be based on how much you have to do. Carla, uh, her husband, Adam, half of their house is tilting uh, probably toward Brownsboro Avenue right now from all the audio tapes that he has in his collection. And uh, so that would, there would be no way that Adam could ever digitize all those. He'd have to send them all out. Um, and as soon as he wins the lottery, I'm sure he'll do that. Uh, and another thing about, about transferring them to digital is the format you save them in is important. So, you know, MP3 is a popular uh, uh, digital f- format because it doesn't take up a lot of space on your computer, but you would not want to transfer an audio file into an MP3 as your preservation copy because the mp3 process removes a lot of the important sound that's there later so you would want to save them as for instance as a wave file a wav and you might be tempted 
if you're a, you know, have any audio engineer skills, uh, if you're using some audio editing software to do the transfer, you might be tempted to want to edit the file. Do not do that. Not for your preservation copy. There's going to be artifacts, audio artifacts, you know, the sound of the dog barking in the background or the sound of a screen door opening or something like that, that you might think, well, let's get that out of there. But that's actually a really important part of the audio uh, copy. So you don't want to edit those things out not for your preservation copy. And then how to store all this stuff, okay? So for digital things, I'm going to give you the absolute ideal way to do it. If you if you have these memories, they're digital now, then they're not going to erode, right? As soon as you get them off this magnetic media and transfer them into a digital file, they're not going to change. But you can still lose them. If anybody out there has ever had their computer crash or had their hard drive crash, I had, I lost literally everything I wrote between 2012 and 2017 at APH when my external hard drive crashed. It was a very bad day, let me tell you. And you don't want that. So, so you want to preserve them basically in three places. You know, obviously your hard drive on your computer is, the, is where the file is going to rest when you want to use it all the time. But you should also have an external hard drive that you save in second copy to. And then the third one would be to buy some space on the cloud and upload your files to the cloud. That gives you three places where, it, where your file is and you're pretty safe then in not in having to worry about a crash of a machine. Let's talk a little bit about how to do histories yourself. Okay. If you have a cell phone, then you have a high quality digital recorder right there in your pocket. Or a lots of the uh, lots of the devices that we make and sell to play talking books on also have a record function on there, a digital recorder that allows us to do all kinds of recordings. So say you're like me and you want, you know, you want to talk to your dad about his skateboard that he made with my aunt's skates. So what you want to do is, you know, you make an appointment with whoever it is you want to talk to, your brother or your best friend or or the lady that lives next door or somebody at an old folks home that you want to do an interview. with. You make an appointment. You tell them that you're going to record them and what you're going to be talking about and make up a set of questions in advance. It's going to make your interview much more organized if you think, what, what do I really want to get out of this interview? What do I want to absolutely make sure that I get dad to tell me about? before I talk to him, because a lot of times these interviews end up being conversations because people will bring things up and you'll want to pursue them. But if, but if you have your questions in advance, you know, and you know that you're only going to be talking to them for an hour, an hour and a half, you, that makes sure that you get everything in there. So you've got a recorder, a digital recorder, you've got your, your questions in advance. So when you sit down, start to, you know, look for a place where it's, there's not a lot of ambient noise, right? So you don't want to do it outside where the interstate noise is coming in, you know, try to find a quiet room somewhere in the, in the house to do your interview and uh, make sure everybody has a little, you know, some water, you know, and, and, and be prepared to take some breaks during the interview, maybe use the bathroom or maybe just, uh, you know, sometimes people get emotional when they're, when they, when they start, uh, you know, recounting some of their memories. And so you want to give some time for them to, uh, to recover right? Or, or, or catch the breath. So when you start the interview, you start your recorder, make sure it's playing. There's nothing worse than doing the entire interview and discovering that you didn't have your recorder on. So test your equipment. Make sure your, if it's a battery powered device, make sure your batteries are good and have extra batteries. If it's a plug-in device, make sure it's got power, make sure it's working. Test it before you show up. If it's recording to a media, like a removable flash drive, 
an SD card or something like that. Make sure you have plenty of space on the on the media to put your entire interview. You don't want to do the interview and not actually you know capture what you're doing. Um, I've done it. I've made that mistake plenty of times. Don't do it. So then you sit down. You start the you start your recorder. You make sure that your sound levels are good. And then the first thing you do is introduce yourself, give the date, give the time, and give the place, and give the and then you ask the person to give you their full name and when they were born. Okay, this is just basic documentary information, kind of like the information on a tombstone that sets up who's talking, who's asking the questions, where are you, when is it. All crucial information at the beginning of the recording. And then you ask your first question and, and let things go from that and uh, just turn it into a conversation. Uh, let the person talk. You are going to have to sometimes do some direction because if you have certain goals, you know, I want to make sure I ask my dad about those skates, but dad is really interested more in talking about his, his mom and dad. You know, eventually you're going to have to steer them back to the topics you want to make sure that you get in your interview. And it may take you, you know, several interviews to get what you, you want on the recording. And then once you're done with the recording, again, documentation and storage. You want to document what the interview is and uh, want to download it to your computer and then, and then send a copy to the cloud. And make sure the name of the, of the file describes what's in the interview so that anybody coming along later can look through your computer files and they'll know what they're looking for and they'll know what they're looking at. And there are lots of guides online about how to do oral history. So there's, I mean, there's plenty of information out there about how to do one with lots of pointers. And so I'm not going to go too far into depth, but it's really easy and great. And if you say that, well, that's so true, Mr. Hudson, why haven't you talked to your dad about those skates? And that's what I'm going to do tomorrow. Okay, so that is my quick spiel on preserving magnetic media and on how to do an oral history. And I think we have 10 minutes left for questions and I wanted to leave some room open. So the floor is open. Ron has his hand raised. Good morning. Just a quick question. If you have media, what are some good ways to get it converted, say, from VCR tape, let's say, to digital? I mean, are there companies that do that? What do you recommend? Yeah, Ron, that's the easiest one. If they're like VHS tapes, literally just Google transfer VHS to digital Mm -hmm. and uh, you'll get a dozen companies that, you know, my preference is to use one in my own community Mm -hmm. where where I drive, I can go over to the, to the place, talk to them about what their process is. I know where the tapes are and I'm not worried about them getting lost in the mail, but there are companies that also do it by mail where you box everything up and you mail it to them and then they digitize them and then they send them back to you. And that's a big business in the United States right now because so many camcorders, you know, from the 70s, 80s, 90s, all that media, all that magnetic media now needs to be converted to digital or it's going to be lost. So yeah, where you live? I'm in Phoenix. Yeah, Ron. So Phoenix, no problem. I mean, yep, I mean yep. li- literally there's going to be, you know, 10 companies there that are going to do it. Yeah. And, uh, and so you can go over there and, and, and tell them what you're working on and, 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 and they can give you a quote too. If you're talking about, you know, if you've got 200 tapes, but if you're talking, you know, I got five tapes, you know, and I just want to get them digitized. That's a piece of cake and it's really not super expensive either. We even, the uh, KSB collection had some old eight millimeter film uh, shot with an old movie camera and we got that digitized. 
So you want to see uh, some old 1980s cheerleaders. It's pretty good stuff. Harry, go ahead. Yes, I've got a question. I've got a bunch of cassettes with different musical concerts I've you know, performed in and different things like that. What would I look for to get cassettes copied to some type of sure. digital format? Sure, Carrie. We, so, so we have a machine ourselves that's got a cassette machine on it. You hook it up to your computer and use a piece of software called uh, Studio Recorder to uh, transfer those to digital. Or, again, uh, like Ron's question, there are companies in, in – where are you at, Carrie? St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah, boom. No problem, St. Louis. There's going to be companies there that, that will digitize your, your uh, cassettes for you. What would I search for on the internet? Yeah, just search for convert audio cassette to digital. Okay. And you'll find companies. Now, when you search for it on the internet, the first things that'll come up will all be online companies, right? Okay, right. You know how that works because they they basically paid Google to move their results up in the results. But what, what, what I recommend for starters is work with somebody local and don't, don't take them all, right? Take one mm-hmm. and, and make sure that you're happy working with them. Okay. Let's see if we've got a question in the room. Ray Campbell. Actually, it's not a question, but a quick comment. It wasn't audio media, Michael, but one of the things that we found recently when we moved was um, we had pictures that we weren't sure who was in them or whatever. So we should decide if we should take them with us or not. And uh, we actually used Ira to help us identify or there was a picture you know, that there were people in it. And then we could actually get that picture taken through Ira and put on, you know, digitized on the phone and then text it to family members and they could tell us who was in it and stuff like that. So that's just another way if you're going through stuff and trying to figure out what you should take and you know, with you and from a you know, visual standpoint, uh, something you can do. That's a neat yes. idea, Ray. It's a, it's a great idea. And also it, 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 what it points up is just how worthless an image is if you don't know who it's of, right? So that's why this documentation thing, while you are around and you know what you got, you know what's on that audio tape, you know who that picture, person is in that picture is, that needs to be recorded. That's like a gift that you give to future generations because you may be the only person that knows what the significance of this audio or video recording is. The, you know, you may be the only person that knows that, you know, this was from the championship game of the 1972 state championship, you know, and those are real gifts, but if nobody writes it down, it is lost and it is gone. So yeah, using, using IRA like that, that's great. Mike, let me ask you very quickly if you could share how we should not store our pictures when we were going through those alumni pictures, and there are thousands of them. Some of them were in those albums, the picture albums, and, and you were going, oh, don't take them out. So tell, tell us what we should or should not do. Photographs are, you know, there's layers there. Uh, so you got the paper, then you got the emulsion. Again, the environmental conditions matter a lot. And so you want to store them wherever what's com- what's comfortable for humans, protect them from bugs and light and dust and all that stuff. I'm not sure exactly, you know, that actually, uh, Carla, that's a whole talk 
Okay. <laughs> come to come to breakfast next year, right? It would, it would take me a long time to talk about that. Yeah. Okay. So, but photographs are their own beast. Do we have another question in here? Yes. Um, this is Susan. We have a box of eight millimeter tapes that are no, there's no sound on them, but they've been spliced. Is that something that could be automated still? So when you say tapes, do you mean film strips or do you mean like VHS uh, uh, cassettes? I mean, like video cassettes. Think before then. Think 1960s, the old tick, 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 tick. I don't know what they're called. Movies. Yeah, yeah. So that's eight without, millimeter. Without sound. Yes. Yes, that's eight millimeter. And yes, even if they've been spliced and even if the splice is brittle and has to be repaired, you can take those to a service agency because we just did it here in Louisville. I had a stack of five eight millimeter films and you can take those to these companies and they can digitize them. Yes. And I recommend that you do that. Should you store cassettes and VHSs rewound to the end or in the middle? I've heard arguments on both sides. Yeah, I don't have an opinion. Which is to okay. say, I'm, I don't know enough about that to know, to tell you the truth. You know, the okay. first thing to know is to know how to say, I don't know. <laughs> Mike, I want to thank you for being with us this morning on the 4th of July. I want to thank everybody on Zoom. And I also want to thank everyone in the room. So glad everybody came and participated. Thanks again, Mike. We've really enjoyed it. Thank you, guys. You guys be good. Thank you.